Welcome to Lessons from the Helpful Dead, where you'll learn the world is not what it seems, and you are much more than you think you are. Here you'll learn about positive and reassuring messages from supposedly dead people whose main purpose is to help us. Find out what happens after we die, why we're here, how we got here, where we're going, and discover that you are really a powerful eternal spirit. I'm Dan McEnany. Today we'll continue our discussion of some present-day issues where it might be helpful to keep in mind the big-picture perspective. The first issue I'll address is uh, for those of uh, you who are concerned about the way we treat other species today. The big-picture perspective would support your concern. Watch any of the nature programs on television and you're reminded of the fact that Survival for a species usually means killing and eating some other species, the food chain. For a long time, humans have been hunting and fishing in in order to survive. With the big picture perspective, you come to appreciate that other species have thoughts and feelings much as we do, and even a sense of humor. That includes cows, pigs, sheep, and deer, all of which routinely end up on our dining tables. According to one psychic, however, many of them know they are going to die one way or the other. They don't fear it, and they're not too terribly concerned whether they die from old age, an attack by another animal, from a hunter's bullet, or at the slaughterhouse. I don't know if that's the case or not. I'll leave it up to the animal communicators like Patty Summers to find out more about that in the future. Regardless, killing and eating of other species has been one of the basic operating methods on this planet for a long time. So it's difficult to argue morally with the hunter or the fisherman. It seems to be a part of nature. Christ apparently ate fish and helped the apostles catch them. What is not part of nature, though, is the systematic torture of animals. Now, years ago, there was a book by a fellow named John Robbins. The book was titled Diet for a New America. And in that book, he detailed some of the practices in the industry at that time that were devoted to raising and slaughtering cattle, hogs, and chickens on a large-scale industrial basis, what's referred to as the industrial farming or the factory farming business. Now, to raise animals for slaughter in a manner that they spend their lives in relative comfort, the way almost all of them did 80 or 100 years ago, that's one thing. To deliberately create conditions where they spend a lifetime in pain and suffer on a daily basis in order to increase someone's profits, well, that's another thing altogether. Now, the big-picture perspective may or may not prompt you to become a vegetarian, but if not, it will still reinforce your concerns about the way we treat other species and cause you to think about the kind of life led by the animal you consume. Did it live a life in wretched conditions? If so, you don't really want to perpetuate a system that systematically brutalizes animals who have feelings. And for your own good health, you don't want to eat the flesh of an animal that has lived such a life because 
with the big picture perspective, you know that its negative energies become part of yours. You owe it to yourself to find out how the animal was raised and what it was fed. Uh, you can find out uh, by contacting the Humane Farming Association or any other uh, number of other groups that are dedicated to the uh, welfare of animals. In the same vein, you owe it to yourself to find out whether the products you use or the charities you contribute to fund or conduct animal experiments and testing where pain and suffering is inflicted on animals. On the internet today, it's probably quite easy for you to find a list uh, of such organizations. I'm hopeful that the uh, methods that were described by John Robbins several years ago are no longer employed in the factory farming business. I just don't know. But the overarching principle has to be that the end does not justify the means. When the means inflict needless suffering on any creature, another way has to be, a fa has to be found to achieve that end. Fortunately, a lot of animal rights groups, those that haven't gotten themselves tangled up in violence by hating an evil, but instead have worked patiently to bring about change, those animal rights groups have achieved substantial positive changes in this area in recent years. Uh, they've got a lot to accomplish, and let's hope it continues. Now let's turn to another issue that's on a lot of people's minds these days, and that's the issue of being skepti skeptical about modern Western medicine. Certainly with the recent debacle of the COVID-19 pandemic, many people have totally lost trust in medicine. That's quite understandable when we find out that the wearing of masks, the shutdown of our society, the shutdown of schools, the forcible uh, vaccination, if you want to call it that, of untried so-called vaccines, which were really nothing less than uh, uh, treatments that hadn't yet been tested fully. Uh, with all of that, plus the fact that doctors and hospitals were forbidden from treating people with uh, things like ivermectin that had been proven for a long time to be quite effective in this case. And now that we see that many people have heart complications and other matters with long COVID, physical matters, uh, that are quite troubling, it is actually painful to think of all the people who have lost jobs because they didn't want to get these so-called vaccines. But there's an important point here. We have to distinguish between the political medical community and the actual practice of modern uh, day Western medicine. The political medical community operates in and is closely connected with the government. And many of the people in those institutions haven't really seen, for instance, a COVID patient in years and haven't really practiced medicine in years. Instead, they're more concerned with budgets and major decisions about which directions should be taken in medicine. They're quite willing to force their opinion on the rest of us. And it might interest many people to know that 
The current administration in the United States is planning to hand over to the World Health Organization control over the American population in case another pandemic comes. And that means pandemic as they decide it is, and it means deciding whether or not you have to get vaccinated with something you don't want to get vaccinated with. And maybe you have to get locked down or wear a mask that doesn't work, whatever. It's the World Health Organization that would be controlling Americans if this were to go through. I hope it doesn't. Now, as to the uh, practice of modern Western medicine, real practice, uh, if you're skeptical, I would advise try being more understanding than skeptical. It'll make you feel better. Within the narrow boundaries that our Western medicine operates, it does some pretty wonderful and astounding things. My hat's off to all the surgeons, MDs, and researchers who have relieved our pain, repaired us, prolonged our lives, and helped us survive diseases with surgery, drugs, and other treatments over the past 70 years or so. Their skills and knowledge are the reason many of us are still here today without too much pain. I'm very thankful they are with us. Now, at the same time, the big picture perspective makes us aware that their methods are not the only methods for helping people regain or maintain physical health, and that theirs operate in a small spectrum of the total. We're aware that positive energy is at the basis of all healing, and that this can be affected by thoughts, emotions, and feelings. What they don't yet fully appreciate is that every cell has its own consciousness, and that each cell can communicate with every other cell telepathically. Uh, a nice lady named Eileen Bacarita, uh, who was a practitioner of the uh, Feldenkrais therapy, uh, <clears throat> has amply demonstrated that the brain can be re reprogrammed through a combination of deliberate physical movement and visualization in order to restore normal function to people who've had strokes or been in an accident. In 1993, Eileen Bacarita showed a short film to the other practitioners at the annual meeting of the Feldenkrais Guild. The film demonstrated how scientists were discovering that chemical or electrical stimulation of cells could cause them to sprout dendrites, which were capable of sending messages to other cells. Previously, they had thought that the messages could be transmitted only through the synapses. Now, they had evidence that almost any part of the cell could communicate to other cells. This was part of the reason that the Feldenkrais therapy could be so successful in many cases. What they were discovering hinted at a larger truth that, <clears throat> that they could have known through the big picture perspective, especially as it's communicated by the entity Seth, if they'd been aware of his sessions di dictated back in 1965. Such telepathy among cells, he told us back then, is necessary for the simplest of living structures, which don't have complicated nerve structures. But it also operates where there are complicated physical nerve structures, such as ours. ours. <laughs> Remember what Betty White and many others have told us. Consciousness creates, forms, and changes matter. It's not the other way around. 
Further, as the entity Seth explained, telepathy at its most basic level is the intangible, non-material communication of inner energy to the physical materialization of itself within the physical field. And it is the communication not of thought, but of intent, desire, and purpose. Physical systems like nerves are not operable before these invisible structures are in place. Telepathy, then, is only remarkable, uh, uh, obviously, in a camouflage system like ours, where our egos have us see ourselves as separate and apart from everything around us rather than joined with it, as is evident from the larger perspective of the underlying bedrock reality from which ours is formed. All right, so in that larger underlying bedrock reality, it's understood that we are connected with all that's around us. Uh, But what we are in the human time-space illusion, uh, well, we have to see ourselves as separate in order to navigate here. Now, this uh, telepathy that the entity Seth mentioned operates mainly, it seems, when similarities and attractions are set up, when like attracts like. This can be observed in electrical and chemical systems, which actually exist not only in relation to our physical system, but also have their larger existence in their own universes, which is an interesting thought in itself. Remember, those universes where consciousness takes on a form different from physical bodies, where existence is in the form of a musical note, an electrical charge, a chemical structure, or something else. We've talked about that in uh, previous discussions. So what is the significance uh, of all this for medicine? Well, very simply, when the reality of these connections and communication systems are fully appreciated, the power of thoughts and emotions to form and reform the physical body, even at basic levels, will be considered logical and highly respectable, respectable, respectable on a scientific basis. Their electrical reality will be seen to influence the body substantially. The emotional climate in which an individual exists and the nature of the thought passing through the mind and brain will be correctly perceived as the main determinants of good health. Self-healing, then, will be given its due, based largely on the thoughts and emotions which we can learn to control for good health. We will know, too, that this energy can be tapped into and directed by healers of many different types. Various forms of alternative medicine, especially acupuncture, have already achieved some degree of recognition by the establishment mainstream medical community. The technologies of sound and light and electricity and magnetism have also been uh, introduced to one extent or another, especially in recent decades. Nutrition today is recognized as an important ingredient in good health, as is an ability to avoid or cope with stress. Massage therapies and the movement therapies such as Feldenkrais and the Alexander Technique are now respected and practiced within the structure of mainstream medicine. In time, we can hope that the special healing abilities of selected individuals will be recognized by the mainstream caretakers of our health system.
and the further promise of sound and electricity will be recognized, even if that means lower profits for the pharmaceutical firms. It's not a problem, though, if it does mean more profits for the pharmaceutical firms, which is a distinct possibility, so long as that does not mean pricing these therapies out of range for the people who could benefit by them. The big-picture perspective will tend to help you keep an open mind about therapies, natural healing agents, and energy healing techniques, to observe and evaluate objectively whether they have any positive effects for people and not reject them out of hand because they do not fit into a preconceived, rigid, rigid framework of what will work uh, to help people heal. So we've already gone past the rigid structure where we thought that drugs and surgery were the only viable treatments. <clears throat> we've come a long way. We've still got a long way to go, and if we keep an open mind, we're that much more likely to enjoy several beneficial breakthroughs. There is a basic problem with established medicine in the United States, uh, and, and it is the fact that it's largely driven by money, unfortunately. Uh, the HMOs have taken control of medicine in, in many areas. Doctors have been reduced to doing the best they can while also keeping costs down, two goals that often are in direct conflict. Well, the big picture perspective helps us understand that good health is a natural way of being for our bodies and that those in the healing professions who can function with a minimum of financial stress and pay attention to our entire selves, our body, our mind, and our spirit, they will have the best chance of being effective for us. Indeed, the most effective practitioners of medicine. We'll stop here for today, and we will continue with a few other such issues in our next discussion. Again, I'm Dan McEnany, bringing you lessons from the helpful dead.